Mr. Tim. Mr. McDuffley. McDuffley. Hello, and you're Asliny, yep. I suppose. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, Tim. What's up? Hello. Hello. Hello, everyone who is listening. Welcome to episode 85 of Dismembering (laughs) Horror. It's the podcast show where myself, as you heard, Ryan McDuffie, I'm very McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan Lee. (laughs) (laughs) We dismember a horror film every week, in fact, and dismember it why by that we mean we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything we, yes, we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. Mm. And I put emphasis on we and us because we are by no means purporting to be the final say. We are doing this in the spirit of friends watching a horror film together and who also happen to be filmmakers and look at things with that kind of analytical eye and emotionally involved uh, being in place of just wanting the best for the films that we see. Or, 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 you know, I would look at it like we just want to see movies be good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tim, part of the fun of this podcast is hearing what I say that could be said with much less words. So thank you for being there as my backup. (laughs) Wow. I'm so honored that that that's my position here. It's a position I like to think I similarly got your back Mm -hmm. when you need it. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's a bit of the lens that we're coming at, at these films from and with. Today, we're shining that lens to a film from 1961, The Innocence. (laughs) <laughs> directed by Jack Clayton, based on William Archibald's stage play, also called The Innocence, and that stage play was based on Henry James's story, The Turn of the Screw. Yep. Those are all true things. That's the thread. That's the thread of creativity mm-hmm. to know about. And in that end thread of creativity, Truman Capote was a writer, co-writer on the film. That's right. At the end of that thread. Yes, yes, yes. And here we are at the very, very end of that thread to talk about it today. Is there anything else you want to say, Tim, before we get into the trailer and see what we're talking about? Wow. I mean, your shirt is really cool. Tim and I are talking via FaceTime, still on quarantine. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't know. Tim's got his quarantine. He has his, his like face mask around his neck at the ready. Should yeah, anyone... just in case. Just in case somebody <laughs> crashes my apartment. Stylish black pulls off any style, I always say. <laughs> That's my goal in life, Ryan. <laughs> well, you've reached it since uh, 
since long ago, yeah. since forever and always. <laughs> All right. Now there's a little bit of a visual context for today. Yeah. <laughs> Both our sides. Let's get in with that auditory context for the film that we watched. Here's the trailer for The Innocents. Mm. There has never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess the living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you The Innocents. Based on the Henry James chiller of macabre evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. Wow, classic trailer for a classic film. <laughs> that trailer is so over the top. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 kind of fun because it's so in the vein of exactly what we think of when we think of like 1950s, 60s trailers. Just those yeah. spoken yeah. inner titles. But belying <laughs> to the quality of the and film, when I said classic trailer, classic movie, uh, very different meanings behind those classics. Definitely. <laughs> Contextual classics. Yeah, that is an interesting, uh, I don't know, juxtaposition of actually a good movie and a really schlocky PR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder how that contributed to the critical response to the film at the time, which we will get into. Have you ever watched, like, trailers from, oh, the late 80s? Yeah, but what are you talking about? Well, it just made me think of, like, at the time, you didn't really think about it, but now if you watch a trailer from the late 80s, like, for example, if you just watch, like, the the Batman 89 trailer, it's just clips from the movie. Like, it's not a trailer, right? But we were okay with that at the time. We didn't know any better, I guess. Well, it's they had those, like, couple key music changes. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and they'd say the actors' names. And I think that was enough just to be like, oh, yeah, cool. Right, right. Matthew Broderick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, because I think I, I would assume that this, that style of trailer that we just watched... At the time, people didn't think, oh, that's schlocky or, or cheesy or whatever at all. No, no. And it didn't affect how they went in, like, their expectations of what kind of movie it was going to be. Yeah, I know. To, I'm guessing. To think what we think is so like that, uh, fears beyond imagination, that kind of <laughs> right. thing to like, imagine, just him, to, like, time travel or just to be of that time and be like, ooh, ah, and, like, you're actually imagining it. I think that's what makes the Twilight Zone so classic is just Rod Serling's voice. Mm. It's always yeah. like, you know, unnerving. It's It doesn't yeah. take on that kitschiness. Right, um, right. Interesting tangent, nonetheless. Um, okay. Well, we watched the trailer. Think? The rating. Yeah. Tim, Tim, I, I think this movie is great. I think it was, is absolutely 
worthy of, I think, the, the praise and status it has been getting. I much like, I think not since sort of on par with like Quidon and those first Juon movies for me. I think more than like anything we've watched, it has that actual like a moment in particular, but also then this the whole thing permeating through it. it just had this I felt this total, total unease and chillingness that was coming from this place of like there's definitely something, you know, there 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 is a power at play here that through this diligent British framed, you know, stage filmmaking actually like, you know, punctured through to the other realm and brought it back to share with us. And like so much of this film are just those things where, as you'd say, are like classic, you know, her, like the black and white photography, her in her nightgown with the candelabra. I thought of you, <laughs> like her walking, yeah. um, you know, down the hallway and you just get the creepy sound effects. Um, but, but, the, but then surrounded by that, you know, more than just those moments, I thought that the whole thing was good. I don't know. I I mean, I could just going on listing, I'll just save it for what worked for me, but I thought it was great and kind of much like quite on, I just, I would be happy to own it to get to my, my actual rating of what I tell myself to avoid it, stream it, rent or to buy it. I'd tell myself to buy it just because I feel like the more times I watch it, the better filmmaker I'll be. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm, well, this is controversial, but I just was like, whatever about it. Well, I was a little sad when you texted me when you were watching it and I noticed it was during the day. Um, yeah. I watched this as a sort of total coincidental double feature after um, The Favorite, which I hadn't seen. No, so I haven't seen that either. It just kind of ended up being this, like, you know, stuffiness in uh, yet large british aristocracy like yeah. like uh, a <laughs> yeah. countryside um manners estates um ended up being an interesting double feature but boy i was made sure to make this the second one since it was the nighttime horror film and man it, it creeped me out that's interesting i don't know i think a part of it for me is that i actually just don't love this there's two aspects. I, I'm not huge on... I've talked about this before. The haunted house sort of thing is not like my favorite thing. But I'm actually also not a big fan of like British manor, gothic kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It, like like I tried to watch Down, Downton Abbey at one point and I was like, whatever. And I think, you know, I've, I've said this about other things. Like when I tried to watch um, oh, Crimson Peak... Yeah. You know, I just am like, I don't, I just, I, I don't know what it is that's, that I'm not able to get in with, but I'm just not. And I found myself kind of intellectually being like really appreciating a lot of what's going on in the movie and yet not feeling invested or like interested ultimately in much of it. Totally. So yeah. I just ended up kind of being like, okay, like there it is. It's funny. And that, yeah. I guess that I mean because of that that I guess that makes me a stream. Like I it's it's for me, right? Like I I I think there's a lot of great stuff in the movie and I think other people will probably really really enjoy it and I just was kind of blah about it. Yeah, even though I'm totally aware of like 
the the great things that exist in it. <laughs> so it's a weird kind of whatever. I just was very whatever about it. Well, it's sounds like it has room to grow, which yeah. often good films do as they sit with you. I'm kind of on yeah. the same page as far as like in general, like this this setting. It's not like something I seek out or whatever. Um, yeah. Kind of like though, what's the one that we watched? The other British one, um, the Haunting of Hill, the the Hell House, Haunting of Hell House. Is that what it was? It was uh, <laughs> the other seventies oh British one. But anyway, so yeah, like, remember- which actually, you know, this is a thing of note, obviously. But the little Flora in this movie is Florence from that movie. Oh, whoa, crazy! Yeah, it's just ten years later, funny, or thirteen years later, something like that. Wow, funny. Um, That's yeah. What is that one? Uh, it's God. It's Hell House. Yeah. Anyway, haunt, anyway, but the haunting of Hell House. Kind of like how that film, like I can get if you just like take away the stills and the aesthetics. It's just like pure classic doing this thing, you know, of that setting of being a haunted house story. Um, except you know, it just enough of the surrounding elements just were not good. And this one for me, it had all those, you know. It's kind of similar, different classic elements, but then really was supported by an actual great, mm-hmm. great film. And I'm not like the kind where, yeah, kind of similar. I don't know if I need to, well, it's it's not the kind of thing enough where I'd want to watch a whole show on this setting where I'm going to seek out all the kind of like haunted house manor, English manor movies or like right. watch a show on it. Like if I can just get it at its like kind of best or like distilled as I like yeah. to say, then I'm so on board. Yeah. Sorry, it's the legend of Hell House. The but legend. anyway, so yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm not... Here's the thing. Uh, I kept just kind of going back to like, this is an allegory or this is sort of interesting in in its metaphor. Yeah. And, and in a weird way, I think that... That fact or how sort of apparent it was to me pulled me out of connecting to what was going on in the movie. This is really interesting because I think this is we view movies totally different a lot of the times where um, or just one of the the differences in a lot of times how we first react to movies like unless it's built into the story of like questioning if this is real or not or if this is an allegory in like a totally overt way like i'm always thinking it's okay it's it's all real or it's like they're they're ghosts you know interesting interesting only when the movie ends and i kind of read a first review or whatever i'm like oh (laughs) yeah oh of course but it's just like it's it's always cooler if it's presumed to be real, it's always better sure. to me like to read I, it that that's way. That's interesting. I wonder if that's just me being always looking at it through this sort of symbolic lens. Which is so cool as a thing that you can you can view it. I mean, that, then that just adds that whole other layer, which is put up into the buy it for me is that, oh, my God. Yeah. Metaphor yeah. for sexual repression, blah, blah, blah. Like then right. I can just go off to the race with that. But that. That's just building on this initial enjoyment I had. And as far as like, yep, the haunted house thing, I realized I'm pretty hit or miss with haunted house things as like there will be key things that usually turn me off that are just kind of specific to my taste that will turn me off of them, which is Mm -hmm. like is if if the twist is that it's like a good ghost 
it's like I don't really care. As I'm like, okay, whatever, blah blah blah. Yeah, that's always kind of a a thing that I just the tropiness of haunted house movies that it's so often the case that it's like, oh, twist, it was a good ghost, or oh, twist, the reason this ghost is haunting is because of some, you know, wrong that was done. Yeah, it's like, if that's not coupled with, like, some really interesting character stuff, I'm like, who cares? Okay, well, I'm already just wanting to talk about how good it is, so can we move on to our summary, so then we can move on to what worked? Sure. Okay. So... Um, governess, whatever the hell her name is, <laughs> Giddens, Miss Giddens. And I looked up governess, it does literally mean, I hadn't really heard the word before, but it's like literally a woman hired to teach and look after, uh, you know, homeschooled children. Sure. Yeah. I've certainly heard the term, but yeah, I never really thought too much about it. Um, so yeah, she, so Miss Giddens is hired by this this businessman who's kind of a he's just kind of a douche. A man and, about town would be a polite way to put it. There you go. Yeah. And he <laughs> he has a niece and nephew that he doesn't want to really deal with, but he's super rich. And so he's kind of just confined them to a this this manor um called Bly. Oh, so perfect. Yeah. And the last governess died. And so she's she's there to try and take the, the position and he hires her and he's a f- weirdo and kind of a creep and is like basically says, do not disturb me at all for any reason. He's like, just leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> and so she goes off and she's excited, meets the kids. The overall sort of vibe is that like, the kids are a little off and she does a little, you know, kind of tries to sort of sort it out and keep a positive, you know, I don't know, face on things for the most part. But ultimately, when she learns that the former, what is he, groundskeeper kind of caretaker guy? I was hoping you could, I forget the exact like story of who these two characters were, but they're, yeah, two people who used to live there. He's the ground, he was the, what would you call it? Peter Quint is his name. Yeah. He was the, yeah, he's a caretaker. I think he's sort of the guy who just, you know, makes sure the stables are (laughs) whatever. He certainly looked like that. Yeah. He's probably, you know, he tends to everything, right? Yeah. He's like the the worker guy. So he he <laughs> he tends to things. Right. Exactly. He you know, there's a bunch of employees there, right? There there's there's, you know, cooks and maids and probably like groundskeeper type people and so on and so forth. So a bunch of them are still there and Peter Quint, the former caretaker, and the former governess both died recently. And on top of that, our Miss Giddens learns that the two of them were having an affair. Or not an affair. They were they were banging. Which is, you know, probably pretty typical back in the day. But right? how like she watch, refer- watch- how did she refer to it? They were doing uh activities 
f- like best suited for the woods or something like that or like <laughs> things sure. that adults do in the forest or that yeah and do everything's in the forest. obscene you yeah. know when it comes to sexuality it's all obscene but the thi- but i think the key component that really spins her you know head is that they were not hiding it from the kids that the kids were basically witnessing Peter Quint and the former governess, Miss Jessel, um, banging. And that really spins Giddens' head off. Like, she just can't believe this. And she's like, God, the horror that that must have caused these kids. No wonder they're odd and acting out oh, and doing Jim, all sorts of stuff. You just got, I just missed that part, how perfectly on theme that is to this, this idea of the innocence and corrupted innocence and sort of the idea of kids being like, you yeah, know, there's things deeper, they shouldn't see. Like, is 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 our idea of kids being innocent? How much does that actually extend to reality? Because they also yeah. contain all that is evil. So, <laughs> and we'll yeah, we'll get in. We'll we'll I think dive deeper uh, into so into all of those layers. But ultimately, which I said once before, <laughs> Miss Giddens just starts to unravel. Like she she is seeing specters of these two dead people and so that coupled with her you know uh what would you call it sort of the 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 tightly wound nature of of the reality the story of these two with actually seeing them she just loses her shit and she kind of she forces the kids in a way to get on board with seeing or looking at these specters, which is sort of just a metaphor for, you know, breaking their innocence. Yeah, it's this cool kind of balance of her doing it out of wanting to help them of like, you need to see these, but also then this her sort of own like testing her own sanity of like, do you see these? Right. And her selfishness, I guess, if you if you will, to say, I'm going to overlook whether or not this is like a good thing for you kids to to um, acknowledge. uh, Versus, you know, in in, in, uh, for the sake of acknowledging it for myself, like it's it's pretty messed up. To be like, no, you need you need to you need to acknowledge that these ghosts exist so that I can like, I don't know, teach you like teach you the what the, I don't know. I don't even know. It's a little hard to No, it's 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 cool. Um, it's kind of embedded in there, but it's not to avert her goal as the movie goes on is basically to she in order, she she thinks okay, these kids are possessed, and in order to f- right, free, sorry, that's the one element. In, yeah. in order to free their spirits or get rid of these, you know, evil possessors, I have to force them to acknowledge that this is what's happening. Right. And, and well, not even that this is what's happening, but that that's what they saw. They witnessed these things to acknowledge that they have you know, seen things that were obscene and inappropriate for kids to see. So it's a very weird kind of, it's cool. It's like, because it's, yeah, it's double-sided. It's like, you know, you're, you're 
you're making a kid acknowledge that they saw a thing that they shouldn't have seen. It's like, why don't like if they don't want to acknowledge it, then, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting philosophical debate. Well, kind like, of perfectly metaphorical for the whole stuffy British aristocracy, too, of just where it's like exactly so much is being spoken underneath. What is spoken? Just that very phrase, like, you know, activities in the woods, like, whatever, you know, right, right. On every level in this movie, it's sort of about keeping up this, this veneer of uh, pleasantry, perfection, beauty, but at yeah. the expense of not acknowledging what's underneath. And so it's that <laughs> right. very feat that she has to pull off in relation to the kids, getting them to acknowledge these specters and this situation, situation in order to save themselves. Yeah. And it backfires, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was cool. Um. And that's a, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's the movie. <laughs> Great. Yeah. This big place, Bly Manor, huge, huge, huge. Um. Yeah. I had that creep where it's like so many of the rooms are like just that hide and seek scene. Oh yeah, we gotta talk mm, about that. Yeah. I forgot about that. Anyway, let's talk about <laughs> all that <laughs> and move okay. on to our first section. How about it, Tim? Yep. All right. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? Okay. I mean, I just got okay to start. To start not broad. Kind of what I already mentioned. I guess is to go back to something I already mentioned single most like chilling moment but then that they just sort of kept up where it's just like if a film can do this to me it just goes so far and like it's so rarely it happens but in this film when the um it's when we see the miss jessel like ghost in black i think mm-hmm. for the first time over the little lagoon yeah it, it's so good yeah i felt like i was seeing not just a ghost in real life but like a sort of malicious ghost it's not, it wasn't just that ambiguity, but just kind of like this dark, I, I can't even describe it. It was just this feeling that like shot right to my chest. It was incredible. Yeah, I'm not really even sure why that shot is so powerful. It's just like when films are so good, when every single little element is sort of adding up to this this thing beyond each of those elements, you know? Yeah. Well, I think just from a visual and psychological point of view, part of what makes that frame really compelling is that, you know, this, what is, what are we in the sort of Victorian era? I don't even know. What do I know about that stuff? But, you know, long hoop dresses and, and like high collars and all that. And seeing this little lagoon with this sort of like these, the reeded, um, uh, island, I guess, if you will, in the middle of the lagoon, and the starkness of a of a person, not only just a person standing there, which it's it's sort of it's very unnatural. How do they get there? Kind of feeling like they don't belong there, and also they're in this black outfit, the long dress, black outfit, long black hair, kind of thing that is so stark contrast to their surroundings. So there's this very strong element of like, this thing doesn't belong there. And when you couple that with all of the premise setup of, you know, are these like these people are dead and 
ghosts shouldn't exist, so that's an unnatural thing in, in and of itself. And you kind of just slap them together in this image. It really is shocking. Like, it has a really nice effect on our brains because we go, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just that most successful of that thing that I just love so much when it can be pulled off is, like, seeing, like, a ghost even, like, in full daylight. And it's just... Yeah. So, so affecting. I like to think it's it, like when the whaling did it. Yeah. The whaling. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I like to think, yes, on top of those reasons you said, kind of like a deeper um, film juju way that this all like like that that potency is imbued in it is the Jack Clayton, the filmmaker, read Turn of the Screw when he was like 10. And I think, you know, really loved Jesus. it. And, um, if you know, and, and when you're at that age too, you know, things are that you can really tap into things being that much more real or the possibility of things being real. Um, mm-hmm. So I just like to think that that impression, that power behind it, you know, it st- stayed, stayed there bubbling until it had its chance to sort of, uh, yeah, come to fruition in this film. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it. this is um, – maybe this is tangential, but I think it's related. There's always, to me, been something about the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the effect that that era's wardrobe has on our brains. So, you know – It's so much of that is about covering up what's underneath. Yeah. But, but also (laughs) more on theme. (laughs) Right. But also suggesting a facade of what you're seeing. Right. So like, you know, why, why have a dress that is very tight from the waist up? Right. It's, it's essentially showing what your body is from the waist up even though you're covering it but from the waist down you've got this huge plume of hooped hooped skirt right it, it creates this this almost negative space that you you want to you want to know what's underneath there right it, it almost makes you imagine that the person's legs are are quite small because you've got this big thing around it it's and inc- so there's this whole psychological thing around that of like the the intrigue of the image you're seeing and what's underneath it is is actually antithetical to kind of what I think they in certain realms are trying to accomplish as to put separation for your brain, you know, so you don't get horny over looking at women. But then people are like, well, fuck that, dude. Let's just make those things look amazing anyway because we're all horny. So there's this, there's this dichotomy happening with like the the battle against or the battle for quote unquote purity and against the people who are creating the actual imagery, you know, that have some style. Right. So like the, it's like the artist versus the, 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 uh, you know, the, the purist or the, or the, the uptight person, right. That battle exists even in the, in the wardrobe. And I think something, yeah, something that adds, I think uh, to make it additionally haunting in a way, those kinds of, you know, not just, yeah, to sort of dive in, not just to say, go beyond just saying, cause it's old, which, you know, I think there's also ways right. just to break that down. But the, there is a sort of 
sincere longing for for beauty and what's right and just sort of yeah what, yeah what's beautiful in as you said the sort of intentionality behind like the design of those dresses or that style mm-hmm. whatever it may be that really makes you feel for these people that you know under their covered selves they're very very um their 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 emotions aren't any you know um they they, they aren't feeling any less <laughs> you know right it's not it's not that well, and the whole movie ends up kind of being, you know, a version of that where it's like this battle between acknowledging emotion or feelings, mm-hmm. whatever they may be, they, you know, sexual or, or otherwise, feelings that we're told we're not supposed to acknowledge or we're not supposed to feel, and then trying to find an outlet for having feel, feel having felt them. Because that's what we do. We have feelings. Like, whether you want to or not, you're going to have right. feelings. Well, the miss... And I like that battle. I mean, I think that that really is the crux of the whole, you know, story that is most compelling to me. Well, Miss Giddens is pretty overt and sincere, though, in that she says, I just love the children so much and I just care about them. I'm only doing this for your own good kind of thing. Right. She believes that. But, you know, so does there, – there are lots of people who believe firmly in a in a seemingly just cause, but they can't see past that. Right, like pray the gay away, whatever, like – Right, yeah. I mean stuff like that where it's like, yo, you, you got to step back a little bit. <laughs> just a little. Like, like, come on, guys. <laughs> Imagine – Tim, yeah, like the praying the gay away people. Yo, bro, you just gotta step back a little bit. <laughs> Listen, homie, <laughs> that is so on point. That is what exactly? I, yeah. So, but I them. think watching. I mean, that's why we watch the movie, right? That's why the movie gets made. Watching somebody go through that struggle and effectively fail. Well, yeah, is so compelling. You're right because that is what I was kind of like effectively you know intentionally frustrated by was when she was getting into those manic frenzies of like but i do it out of love i care about and then i was feeling exactly what you're saying i'm like okay good then then just chill out like look at your check your approach here lady because you're at about a 10 and we need you at about a four you know yeah yeah (laughs) stop shaking the kid yeah out of love (laughs) like Grabbing a kid and shaking them and saying, I love you. You need to calm down. It's like, dude, you need to calm down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that. Um... So, yeah, I mean, you could. Uh, there's a reason that, you know, books and shit have been written about this just from a, um, I don't know, from a dramaturgical or, or, or film theory point of view or you know just all of the sort of picking it apart you know um symbolically and such well the reasons is because they they keep going to tim yeah like right okay something as far as just like where films yeah paranormal supernatural films i think like a key part is imbuing it with ambiguity in that yes. just pitch perfect way where it's not like the bad kind of confused. It's more like, 
either, well, like the good kind of confused, where it's maybe there's like a more torn feeling, or if it is like a, I don't mm. know what's going on, it's, it just somehow feel, you know, is just, it's intentional, so it's just hitting you the right way. But just yeah. looking at all the ways that that um, manifested, the one that kind of really got to me was, I don't think I'd seen before, so you have like um, the bad seed and the omen where it really does feel like these kids are just kind of creepy and there's something off about them. But this movie, it struck a really incredible balance where those those kids, they were they were kind of creepy, off-putting, annoying, kind of making us sympathize with that adult position of like, the ki- you know, they have their own world. What are they whispering to each other? But at the same time, they like when needed and you could tap into... I'm not like a huge fan of kids or anything, but I could still feel that like that (laughs) that feeling of like paternal wanting to like, oh, but they're they're just kids. And here are the moments of their innocence where it feels like you have to do what's right for them. And they aren't totally evil. They aren't a lost cause that are pure evil. Like I can still sense that goodness. Like I I kept um, what was the name of the uh, the Mrs. Gross, the other the other main woman in it. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, Mrs. Gross. Yeah. Yeah, gross. Yeah. See, um, I kept feeling for her too, where she was just so forgiving of them and be like, always just seeing the best in them. I'm like, that is a valid side to this all too. Um, yeah. And so little in kind of a creepy kid thing, did I see that kind of ambiguity or just kind of that done, done so, well, at all, yeah, let alone so effectively. Well, to piggyback off of that, I, I think one of the key... Um, successes of the movie is yeah, is splitting this this line down the kids are weird and are products of their environment and this kid miles in particular is potentially possessed and evil with possessed by an adult and the line between those things is so thin and all it takes is the just the idea being presented that he that something's wrong with him and you're off to the races and what i mean is what if if we had no context that he's a bad kid we didn't know that he got kicked out of school um we didn't know that there was this former groundskeeper or caretaker that was that died and was a sexual deviant or whatever you want to call him. If you didn't know any of that context and you just met Miles the kid, you you would draw a pretty basic conclusion. You would be like, he's acting a little bit like a precocious kid does when they're trying to be adult. Like they're trying to behave adultish. Right. And he even says it a couple times later where he's like, well, I guess I'm the man of the house now. It's a pretty common thing for, you know, a, a, a preteen kid to try to try to sort of sort that out in and of itself. Right. He's identifying with whatever male, you know, figure is around. And if there isn't one, he's going to even try harder to seek that out a lot of the time to try and figure out what it means to to be. Uh, an adult man like it's just a phase that kids go through right the the father identification phase is it's a phase and so you could just take it at face value without the context of these other things and and you would be like yeah that's just what 
kids that are like 10, 11 or whatever age he is, they, they, they do. They do that thing. And it, it would be kind of dismissed, right? But the second that Mrs. Uh, what is it? Miss Giddens is, is given this seed of an idea that he's evil, he's bad, he has a flaw, that she starts to literally turn the screw of her in her own mind of what it could be. And then it's just it's in her imagination the rest of the way, which but is it's, so it's, fucked up. It doesn't feel like it's in the imagination at all, unless it was just totally in mind, because this boy, like when he says when he oh, says he you know, says weird shit. Well, no, no, but like when you said what he said, like, I'm, you know, got to be the the man of the house now. He's really summoning like a, a a deep maturity or like he he's not just saying I'm playing, you know, I'm just playing dad now. I'm just no, 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 I don't. She's not, not imagining it's not playing yeah. dad. It's 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 I think it's behavior that kids explore. They they like he's trying to do it because that in this particular case, I think the reason he's trying so hard to do it or why he's created this kind of persona is because He's the product of a male. The only real male figure in his life has said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. That leaves this sort of void for the kid. And he, I think as a result, the, the character is written to have be, really be trying to seek that out and, and be that thing that, that he doesn't have in his life. That's a pretty complex idea. But like, I think it's there. And I think that that's cool to have because if if he doesn't have that she doesn't have something to feed off of with the idea of like what's like is he possessed right right but those two things together feed off of each other well, that's what i loved and i love that right i will again coming from the standpoint maybe this is i'm just like her where i'm just totally you know this is all all the thing you know i get the idea playing in my head and then it's off to the races that's essentially what happened because where I, I only like to and did view, you know, this was all real. This was happening. He was possessed. But like, I think the, the sort of thing that made me buy into that as the movie really telling me like, oh, this is this is going on was to bring it as far as what's, you know, probably the controversial kiss scene where yeah. I thought I mean, I thought it was a really, really cool scene just because of the idea of like, OK, while she can sort of let these ideas go to her head, like what's kind of like probably the, I don't know, most effective form of nonverbal like communication, sort of intimacy, kind of being told something that's, you know, pure instinctual about how, about the, the person you're with or about the person, uh, what they feel of you, whatever, whatever. So that just, that when they, they kiss and it was like, you knew what it was about where she's like, this is not a kid right now kiss me and i know the difference if it's a kid or not kissing me you know if it's a, a man kissing me so i don't know that maybe that was just one of the examples where it's like okay i could just be like her just crazy reading into it but i took that scene really as like a valid like oh man she's this is how she knows even though she can have doubts it's how she deep down knows well i think that's what i mean when i say this is the, the great success of the movie is that it 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 is presented in a way that makes us also the viewer go, holy shit, is he possessed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we make, we go, man, maybe she's, maybe she's not crazy. 
maybe he is fucking possessed. I mean, I'm watching a horror film, right? Like, <laughs> and that that's what I mean. When you get that seed going, they're they're supporting it, but at the end of the day, you de- like you definitely can back off from that and go. Actually, no. I mean, he could just be being a kid and going through a phase. That that is very possible. And to me, the ending sort of I I walked away from the ending being like, yeah, he he's just being a kid and her insistence on on all of this made up shit drove him fucking crazy. I mean, she effectively killed him because she had to like, you know, she believed a thing so hard that it it broke the kid. Well, that's. That just plugs me into this idea of overall, this idea of ghost and ambiguity of like, if there's, if there's something to them where it's like you, for whatever reason, since this is all just, you know, could be, you know, nature beyond our understanding, some people like, it's not just that, you know, like we like to come back to our grudge theory. If sort of an intense thing happens, it leaves beyond this mm. imprint memory of some some dimensional imprint memory, whatever that may be, and that is the thing that the ghost is. But just that, depending on your sort of sensitivity to that or sort of predisposition to a belief, is also has to do with how uh, your your ability to to see these things at all. So I don't well, yeah. know. I, I'm just trying to now look at it of this different lens of like, okay, well, what is if you're saying that? Well, what is the there's the in-between too, you know, where yeah. she's, she's seen them and they're there and they are not there. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I think <laughs> it's because oh, there, so there, there are, there are facts. If you just laid out the actual facts of what's happening in this story, all of that stuff does add up to really fucking a kid up. So you could take it just for just at that level. The fact that he's been relegated to not having parents, he lives this sort of life of isolation, he's been exposed to adult things that you sh- as a kid should not be exposed to. It fucks you up. Well, now but you can also in the but it, he's messed up because now now he's further that, messed up because he's possessed. Well, I'm saying if you take the supernatural element totally out of it, oh, okay. all of the all of the factual things that exist, mind like without not, with, not even putting the supernatural. Like, stuff what is on the court's it, view on it? Yeah, <laughs> what those, happened? All of those things in and of themselves will fuck you up yeah, and yeah. make you act not like a fucking healthy kid. That doesn't make you a bad kid. That just means you're a product. It's causality. Yeah, right. Like that. That stuff led to a particular state of being for this kid before you even enter into the realm of potential supernatural stuff. So I think that the cool thing is it becomes this sort of debate, like where you're going with it, of like, well, who's to say what uh, of those um, influences are just sort of you know, bad for a, 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 the development of a kid's brain. And like, how do you define that as, you know, just circumstance and, the, you know, the effect being just circumstantial or 
you know, malevolent, like that there's a ho- a bit a larger force at play here. Right. And lots of people make that argument all the time about the world. You know, it's like saying, oh, it was meant to be. What the fuck does that mean? Right. <laughs> From a certain point of view, I, I generally go, I, that means like people who say it was meant to be, everything happens for a reason, all that. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Like a lot of time, but they construct things from that point of view it's not to diminish that i just don't look at it that way but like you have these two things at play all the time in this movie well i was just that is the question right well okay okay i'm wait what is the question what is the what is real (laughs) I, i guess or what's the sort of the driving force of this. Well, what I was trying to get at is I feel like the, I don't want to say wrong or right, but I feel like those, those are aside the point to, to ask, like it's, it's fun. Yeah. What's sort of on face value fun about these movies, that ambiguity is because you're going between, Oh yeah, it's either real or it's in your imagination kind of thing. But I'm like, no, but there's that, isn't there that other option that's probably truer, quote unquote, of like the actual answer is it's both and neither? Yeah, that's what I think is so fucked up and and interesting and ma- because you have to ask that question. Yeah, that the movie is forcing you to and not answering yeah. that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that I think is what makes it so cool. It's like you know, um. A guy I know, every time you finish a movie, he goes down this, like, rabbit hole of, like, well, what do you think happens next? <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea. That's the point of the movie is that we don't know. And he's like, well, I think it's this. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> also, it could not be. It, it's It's purposefully left ambiguous so that you wonder about it. There is no answer. But some people need they gotta have an answer. And that's that's cool too. Like that if you if you're the person who needs to have an answer, great. I mean, I come to my own conclusions about this movie of what I think it could be, but I do not by any means think that there's a certitude around that. That like, oh, it's definitely this is what the director or the storyteller yeah, is like. Yeah, but it's so much was. cooler if it's ghosts. It's always cooler. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. It could be ghosts. It's be- I think it's I think here's the thing. This is a this is quintessential to why I like horror. Because the best horror to me is the stuff that says it could be ghosts, but if it's not, that's it, it, like the fact that it, it it might not be is just as horrifying. I'm having to sit with that one there. <laughs> because pe- what I mean is because and the things that I like and stuff I want to make, I want you to feel like it's it could be supernatural, it could be malevolent, it could be this, but it's more it's more that 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 the uh, the possibility that people are just fucked up it is just as as compelling or you know applicable. Tim, and that's that's the horror to me. And coming that, like people, people do horrible things, and the effects are horrible. And a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to assign meaning to that. 
and I think what's horrible, horrifying in the world is the idea that sometimes there is no meaning. It just is the result. People do fucked up things. And you could backtrack and say causality-wise what how it happened or why it happened. But I tend to be more horrified by the fact that there is no God. There is no ghost. That guy just killed that girl because he killed the girl because he was fucked up. Because somebody fucked with him when he was a kid. And somebody fucked with the person who fucked with but him when you're, he was you're a talking kid. But you're talking in these as if they're separate somehow. Well, they're, they're separate only insofar as how you define them. You yes, Like yes. some people assign meaning from one point of view. They can assign meaning from a supernatural point of view or a faith-based point of view or anything, right? I tend to side with the, I don't go down those pathways of like, I'm going to create meaning around it based on esoteric things, right? I tend to do that. Sometimes it's, you know, I, it's fun to go down that pathway, no doubt. And, and, and it's totally legit. Like there's, I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. I'm saying for me, the excitement and the horror, the thing that makes me, ah, is thinking, well, fuck, you know, sometimes it's just life is fucked up. Right. I just don't see and those. I, as, that. I don't see those as, um, as like, what are they? Mutually exclusive things that you're saying. I, it's yeah. just this. I, it's, I feel like this is where it's always, um, good to mention for listeners who may not have heard every single episode of the show, which in case it's <laughs> wrong with you, come on. But Tim, believe it or not, is our con- has had a confirmed, or as he put, not confirmed ghost <laughs> sighting. True. Tim is the it's one with the, with the ghost sighting between us. So if you go to episode 18 on Ermentari, the blacksmith <laughs> and the devil, starting at three minutes and five seconds, Tim tells his story about seeing a ghost. Right. Um. Well, something about that kind of, you know, where does uh, the horrors, I'm mean, even, even where all this is kind of adding up to, to continue it, where it's like that horror all comes from, like you're saying it's this or that. And I'm saying, well, it's all about that where one thing starts and where one thing ends is, is the thing that's like ambiguous in life and therefore in good films. Um, and Something that's really cool when I see it done, but not too often is the idea of like, how do you interconnect nature kind of as a, as a motif or an Mm. idea with all that. So just from like, I just like love those moments where it's like, you know, she's, she's sensing something's off and then like the sounds of all the birds go away or it's like the, (laughs) the beetle coming out of the, the, the statue's mouth. But then like also just, um, like the pigeons kind of become like, uh, you know, they're, they're surrounding the kid and um, the flat, you know, roses everywhere. Very uh, heavy with roses. Um, this, but, but this, this is a little bit to my point. We are at the mercy often of the assigned meaning that we've been told. So like, a, a bug coming out of the mouth of the little statue. We've somehow along the lo- along the road of of society or culture or life or whatever history have been kind of told that that's evil or scary or malevolent or whatever. That that 
that's made up. Now, there may be, like, an evolutionary reason why we believe that, because, like, maybe beetles, uh, you know, are an indication of something dangerous or whatever. I don't know. Well, this is, like, this... You're just getting at that feel like what is it to sort of the, the paradox at the heart of everything, which is like every single thing, these aren't mutually exclusive. They are both the most like incredible, amazing thing ever that has all sorts of significance to it, whether it's a beetle coming out of a mouth or the sighting of a coyote or like, you know, anything, anything, the color that this grows, the fact that this branch broke and this one right. grew like everything that the person, this person treated me this way, this person treated me that way. And the, the paradox comes in. And what is also true is that it is also just a beetle coming out of Mm-hmm. A statue. Well, Those yeah, are... and what I what I think is cool and in particular about this movie is that it's playing off of the ideas of everything. We we are influenced by assigned meaning, but like assigned meaning can go too far and send you down a pathway of of assumption that everything is bad or well, evil. I feel like that. Gets... I, lo- I think that's what she ends up going through, where she she just starts to spiral down into right. uh, uh, into basically confirmation bias well, this the whole kind time of, of like see yeah. it's evil oh my god there's a crow oh my god like that that must be it's it, it's all a sign that it's bad but it's and like but also like i don't know this kind of has to do with that whole you know a kid being more connected to what's like true what's original what's you know and how we all have that in us too but then it gets covered up kind of idea like yeah um the like, I feel like, okay, we do where it's like, okay, there, you, you can be a child or you can just be a person coming from a, an unadultered place and a crow makes you feel a certain way. It, that's not, you know, from outside influence, but I, I mm-hmm. feel like the kind of, I mean, I love crow. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but then the, maybe the sort of more problem that you're getting at is then over time we sort of we can kind of the human tendency is we it, it what what comes along with progress and like further defining and understanding things also comes with the caveat of over explaining over understanding this is being too descriptive it's it's now it's more complex than it has to be like the kid mm-hmm. being afraid of the spider like that's all that it needs you know that's yeah it, that's all we need to know about what this spider represents Right. Well, and and I think that the moment we really, really see the sort of complexity of that type of thing is when she demands that Flora acknowledge this thing. And Flora flips out. She's just like totally overwhelmed by this idea of like, you know, it's almost it's it's left vague enough that that you don't really know how what flora thinks but you know that the hammering of you have to fucking see this thing is really messes messes her up regardless yeah. of of whether or not she does i it got to me that hor- like thinking of the character flora now where in that sort of the, the the paradoxal kind of outlook that she has that, that why it gets out of the horror is when she she, she's like utterly content. I think the boy says this too. It's like, all I want to do is just to live here forever. And I love it here kind of thing where 
you see, okay, that's, you know, the kind of the, the truth that you want to get of it. wherever you are, whatever your situation, you're making the best of it. You can always find room for play. You know, you're accepting your given circumstances, a play, pr- approach every day with a freshness and childlike wonder. But then we also know what's true is like, ooh, but there's a whole world to see and you want, life is about growing and going beyond your horizons and da, 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 da. So I, yeah. yeah she's a kid. She doesn't have that perspective yet. Right. But she's, but she's, she embodies it, though, as far as just um, she's always, you know, looking, you know, she's always being genuine from, mm-hmm. you know, in in her interactions, despite her possible possession. <laughs> as right, far as right. when we're viewing her just, as a it kid. It's like the idea of the possession je- then I think it it poisons Giddens' ability to just like let them be kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. And then which is which is so good because that then becomes antithetical to the idea of protecting their innocence. Right. Right. It's like, dude, because you're she's like up. When, when I love it when it's the shot of like the the two kids are whispering to each other on the way into the church and she's like, "What do you think they're talking about?" And then the, right. the woman's like, "Oh, uh, you know, kids things." Kids like, stuff. Not kids stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. They're they're doing like this and this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I that all of that that the spiraling is just brilliant. Well, me. that specific fear of like the quote unquote like the child's world too. That kind of connects to like what I was just saying as far as we're all born fresh, unadulterated perspective to things, and to almost to get back to that, you know, can, you know, something that we've lost is a really healthy thing to be able to say, okay, you know, in that kid kid like place again, that goodness of being able to say, I'm making the best of my circumstances, treating, giving people the benefit of the doubt when I first seen them, seeing them the good in people. But the, then that fear comes from, and that's what's interesting this movie plays on, is that somehow we're programmed, again, like to be programmed, exactly. We're like, that belies this idea of, of no, to function, I have to get, I can't just be that, which is true too. But it's just, oh man, this, yeah. we're talking paradox. No. I'm just going in loops appropriately. I mean, really. Yeah, because it's the same. Yeah, the, there's you know this idea of like children are innocent. We don't want them to lose their innocence. We know they're going to lose their innocence. You know, and somehow that's bad. Like it's just a thing that happens to all of us. Now you could do it in this case. They should not have been exposed to sexual stuff as kid. That's that's not good. But it happened. You can't take it back. And Giddens tries to like re- reverse it, and that is the flaw, right? You cannot reverse it. Once it's gone, it's gone. You got to just continue to protect and have like healthy boundaries around a kid and let them, ex- you know, you know, uh, process it. Right, being grow. You can't take it back. Yeah, and grow up like just because they are growing up. <laughs> right. But well, she really tries. And I think that this, you know, you can look at it from the point of view that she constructs all of her fantastical things because she she has to in order to tr- like it's it's like it's pathological. She's creating this 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 answer to to them losing their innocence when all you should just do is let them let them be kids still yeah but not you if they're take pos- it back. but not if they're possessed <laughs> fair fair enough well that kind of gets at the whole possession angle too it's cool it works in that 
thematically similar way to to what what Get Out was about in the end of like, you know, we're talking about sort of a, a preservation of youth and how that inherently, you know, that can't happen. Everything ages, everything dies. But that's what sort of get, gets a creepy of that. Those, those these stories is the idea that that can be averted at the expense of someone else's life though right right he, you know like yeah they may be some it's like being john malkovich too the idea you know you yeah. can take over this body so you can't and, and i don't know just the idea of like okay yeah no actually you can be even if they when possessing the kid will eventually grow old too at least from their perspective it's not like that they're getting a whole new lease on life you know yeah I just think that the way that this movie uses Giddens to go after this goal is is brilliant. <laughs> She's effectively it's it is it's <laughs> it's really ironic. She is basically taking a hammer and saying <laughs> like smashing them over the head with the hammer being like i made this hammer from love and you know i'm trying to put the nail back in and it's like dude stop hitting the kid with a hammer like (laughs) stop it right but she's like but the hammer i made the hammer and like i'm trying to help you like that nail it has has popped out and it shouldn't pop out like i gotta hammer it back in it's like dude stop with the hammer well that's God, Tim, stop with the hammer. I feel like that's really um, just like tied to, you know, uh, to, to tie it to present day, kind of what's going on in the world. I think we're seeing a lot of things in politics these days, especially from our kind of millennial perspective, where we know what's right. We know we should have Medicare for all, yada, yada, yada. And our instinct, well, a lot of even, it. Take it even a step back. We should all just like care about right, each other. right. So, but then the, you can't. <laughs> the kind of ironic thing that I think a lot of people are having to learn is you can't use that hammer and nail approach to it. Right. You can't. The blunt, yeah, the blunt instrument doesn't like, work. Like, yeah, all the yeah, we do have to, you know, change how corporate media, blah blah blah, mainstream this and that go. But you aren't going to do it with that kind of that typical hammer approach. It's not about beating them. They are humans. We have right. to work with for the betterment of all of us that we know. Like you can't just scream at them saying you're doing it out of love. That's right. And this the thing that I think makes this movie compelling is that it's a reminder that that philosophical issue has been around forever. Yeah. Right. And it really is kind of the crux of, you know, I guess if you want to put it in terms of good and bad, but it is kind of the crux of, of well, which I, direction I, you go. I don't know if it's in good and bad, but on theme to the movie, I think the way to be most effective in change and reaching people is to yeah. channel your innocence. Yes. <laughs> Wow, we did it. Look at that. <laughs> Should we move on to some more technical stuff? Um. Yeah, yeah well, let's sp- see what else. Yeah, or at least more specific. I mean, keep getting down some specific moments. Um, uh, I definitely, I, I have to commend this usage of like shallow depth of field and like, the, you know, like every time you see Giddens with just total darkness behind her, mm-hmm. like she's her like close ups are just so beautiful and freaky, right? She just, it's like a floating head. <laughs> yeah. 
It's so good. It creates such a fucked up like like eeriness. Well, it's really effective. It's super it's a super widescreen cinescope, so it's 2.4 ratio. Uh not just the 235, but 24 sure. ratio. Um so yeah, a lot of effective use as far as um yeah, well, I, you know, just get, letting things frame the center and then you always have this sort of like, you know, everything in the corner could a ghost could always be in the corner kind of thing. Right. You feel you feel the claustrophobia. But then you also have like uh, where it's like both sides of the frames are being kind of used in extreme where something's extreme left and then something's extreme right. Mm-hmm. Um they and even do touches. that 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 split sort of focus thing too, where like so, something is in the foreground and it's in focus, but so, whatever's in the background is also in focus. They do right. that, I think, two or three times. Well, I, I was looking at that again, and maybe that happens that split dioptic thing, is it called? But then at the same time, it, it looked like it was more just a wide lens because you did have lots in um, uh, just a lot, you know, in focus as it would yeah. be just with the wide lens. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was the actual split dioptic thing or if it was just you know what you're saying sort of <laughs> taking advantage of a really wide lens yeah but it look know. it just looks cool it create my point is like the the technical savvy around like creating this feeling of eeriness and like discomfort or just like you know uh negative space all of that stuff is really good yeah um, and also just, this is the kind of thing where I just feel like I want to watch it again and again, where I'm like, okay, why is this so good? Where it's just, you had some shots too, where a lot of really neat dolly shots, where it was just kind of, even just her, I think entering when she's walking in at the beginning and you kind of just see, you know, it's just kind of like a little dolly move, like from behind the tree and is using the branches mm-hmm. to frame things interestingly. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of like. I don't know why this is perfect, but it is, you know, and that's, yeah, just want to you know, pick yeah, it you apart. just steal from it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it all works. Um, yeah. I, I think performance wise too, the kids are f- fantastic. Yeah, like, exactly. They're just so we're, good. We're playing exactly like what I already said, but yeah, playing it where it's like they both could or couldn't be possessed by an adult. We don't know. Yeah, by either or some mixture therein. We're at right. time like they're they're thirty percent this, seventy percent chant this at any given moment. You know. Yeah. Um, what other things really stuck out to me? Um, I the guess, music. Right. I guess this is a an editing music thing, but I think like this is right up there with two thousand one Space Odyssey for me as far as. I don't know. You'd call them opening pre-title overtures, where you don't see it much at all. I mean, even in older films, I feel like Grant, I haven't seen tons and tons. See what else is out there. But to have there is before- there is an era. That- I mean, I've seen them in in musicals where it's a literal overture. Sure. But this, it was just a one you know one song overture kind of thing that's played throughout. But before the 20th Century Fox logo came up, even you had her the the little girl. Uh, Flora, you had, I'm guessing it was her singing this song that's kind of like the the theme throughout, whether right. it's being played on the music box, he's playing it on the piano, yeah. she's singing it a bunch. We hear like, it sounds like a ghost is singing it too, the ghost woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just Tim, that like kind of from, reminded me of the opening of Oni Baba where it's just, yeah. you know, like the hole in the ground 
is all we see. And then I'm just chilled through the whole thing. Or like same yeah. with, with quiet on where it's the opening is just these, these painterly swirly I things. Lo- and I I'm just, stuff. Oh my God. And then it just immediately puts me in this other place where I'm susceptible, you know, definitely, definitely. So good. That opening. Ugh. Yeah. I love the part where the miles, the little boy, won't let go of her neck and is basically strangling her. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Like, God, that was, I was like, dude, stop it, kid. This is like, I don't, I I don't know. It was scary where, yeah, just the read on it where he's some troubled kid or he's the adult, you know, again, kind of acting out. Oh, but either way, it was chilling. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love that shit. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, I'm I'm with you. Like I don't like kids in in movies in hey, general. Hey, I never said that. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> in general, I don't love movies with kids in them. Yeah, there's a difference between uh, not being a fan and disliking. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> um, I'm not saying I don't like kids in the real world, although most. Of the time, I'm like, eh. No, I think, for the record, I do think kids are cool. I just, uh, I'm not around them a lot. So it's it's yeah. kind of, it's always fresh to me. I like the ones that I'm around. Yeah. Like the ones that, like, my niece and nephew and my god kids. But not the ones that strangle your neck out of glee. <laughs> exactly. And they exist. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of one of those kids. Um <laughs> without getting into details oh oh my god little miles wait you have an older sister or a younger sister i have an older sister and that's it yeah okay yeah so you and i are both the 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 second of two okay so yeah we're we're always little brothers at heart (laughs) right right (laughs) totally and i think what comes along with that although this is different than the movie but what i i think comes along with that is like you you've you tend to get a little more leeway from the outside. And then you also are a little more compelled to like test the boundaries. Yeah. Like that's my calling in life. I feel like Tim, believe it or not, I believe it. Testing the boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) That's my calling, man. Yep. I, um, I got to say again, I kind of mentioned this before we even got into what worked, but I love in the haunted house thing. It so feels just so refreshing just to see it done straight. And it's just so much more actually scary is when the ghosts are actually sinister. And Mm. like, like whether we get that from how, like, like the context of their story where it was like, you'd, they say something like about them when she's describing seeing one of the ghosts, you'd feel pity for her or him if if it felt like they were capable of having pity themselves. <laughs> yeah, That yeah. kind of thing. So it's like that just description of how they look and felt. And then just their casting and visually too and the way they're used or how they're lit, how he kind of, he's, really you know, they're, they're, they do that classic like floating up thing, you know. Uh, you and again, like I said, that that first main chilling scene, but also throughout when we see him up on the bell tower area, whatever, when we see her throughout, even when just when we see the one walking in the sort of the end of the hall, you're just yeah. like, oh, there's 
there's evil coming from them. It's not just that kind of safe, you know, distanced ghost ambiguity. Right. Um, yeah, I really like <laughs> when she sees Peter Quint for the first time. She's there. It's during the hide and seek scene. And she's hidden behind the tapestry and or a curtain, whatever. And he comes up from outside the window. And when she, you know, yells and Mrs. Groves shows up and she describes him, she says uh, she says something like he had dark uh, black curling hair. And um, Mrs. Groves says, was he handsome? And she goes, yes, very handsome, but obscene. You know, it's like you see her getting actually like excited and, you know, attracted to him in a, in a way and immediately shutting it down. I mean, I, yeah, I, I just read that more as like getting excited over there's actually some recognition on um, Mrs. Gross's part, too, you know. Sure. But I think that there's just there's really smart nuance in that writing and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like making it this thing of like, you know, dichotomy between moments. Yeah. Like quick dichotomy. Like I got I can say this, but I have to say the opposite. It, 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 it's reflective of her character. Right. Definitely. Overall. An on point on theme line. Yeah. yeah. I just love all that stuff. But the I agree with you the the, the arrivals and the imagery of the specters is really good. Yeah. Like when when he's Quint is behind Miles um like over his shoulder. I think he puts his hand on his shoulder at one point and it's just fun. <laughs> it's really quite eerie and unpleasant. Oh yeah. Right. Um But I, I think because it also does this other thing of like we've established that he is this he's, you know, malevolent and and also in life was a creep. Mhm. And when you see a creep putting their hand on a little boy's shoulder, it really, it sends, you know, the hairs up on the back of your your neck. You're just like, no, 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 fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> it's super effective. Um, I love, do you remember the nightmare dream scene? Where it's like all the different images super opposed, like superimposed, where it's like the children whispering to each other, and she's like in the middle of it all. She's like seeing everything. That was uh, I, I loved that. That was up there for me with like the Rosemary's Baby nightmare dream scene of just yeah, just kind of classic nightmare <laughs> dream montage. I don't know what else to say about it. I got in the things of note, it was kind of cool hearing them say like the processing house had never gotten anything like that before. And like oh, how to stage wow. it, they had to take like a blank piece of film and then just mark the ins and outs for where each shot would start and end kind of thing. Um, Whoa. But regardless of those, what it, what it entailed to do at the time, I thought it was very affecting. I loved also the, um, Example of just some really some 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 editing that took me by surprise that was really affecting was when it's the um what's the the woman ghost uh, Miss Jessel when we see yeah, her Jessel. up in the the classroom attic space mm. and when when our gal Miss Giddens first walks in it's it does this like there's this kind of like three or four like rapid cuts like between the two of them that just felt like almost sort of not 
not out of places and not appropriate, but just sort of like we hadn't seen much like it in the film yet, but just sort of was that aggressive cutting that made it feel like it was all of a sudden just in your face or just, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was really effective and unique to that moment. There's also, I, I, I think this, this, there's this other moment that's kind of the opposite of that where toward the end, um, it's right before it's when uh, Miss Giddens is like packing and getting ready to go into town. She's like getting ready to leave to tell the uncle what's up. And she goes into the classroom and it's a follow shot. So we like follow her in and we pan across the empty desk and then we follow her so that the, we lose the empty desk and then she turns and we come back around and the desk has the, the female ghost in it. Uh. And it's it's I'm pretty sure it's a continuous shot. If it's not, it's got a really super sweet smooth edit in it. But I think it's one shot. And it's just and then I believe we we lose the, the yeah, we cut then, I think, to the reverse of Miss Giddens scene the ghost there and we follow her to the desk and the ghost is gone and it's just there's a seamless like really eerie seamlessness to the ghost being there then gone then there or whatever it is It, it gone then there then gone i guess it is but it's so smooth and and just the the execution is amazing to be quite honest yeah yeah so shit like that because then she that's when she um she finds the tear oh, on the desk. Oh, right. Oh, that was so great, the Which idea. Which is kind of that perfect moment of like, oh, shit. See, again, physical evidence. I was just on board. Oh, right. they're ghosts. <laughs> right. And that is the moment that she turns, where she goes, she really doubles down on, oh, no, it's actually right. ghosts. She, she, if she had been considering this was in her head, that's when she's yeah. like, nope, this is real. Yeah. She cancels the trip. She's like, Which, no, I have to save them. You don't think it's real. Do you just go, yeah, that was just some other drop of water that happened to be there totally coincidentally. That I mean, seems, Occam's razor would say yes. That just seems more unlikely to me than the possibility <laughs> of ghosts. It's like, whatever. And again, it's way cooler. That's <laughs> it's true. It's a ghost tier. <laughs> <laughs> I love just a couple last scenes. Um not much to say about them otherwise they're they're just great i want to mention them the the hide and seek scene felt like classic where it's like okay go off and have to hide in this manner and like end up in the creepy attic where something's already moving so good (laughs) and then just that other scene where it was that kind of like classic again i keep saying the word but it's true when she goes in the hallway with the candelabra at night and it's just like the soundscape picks up where it's like everything's happening yet nothing's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, you know, the 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 end sequence really is the 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 thing. Oh yeah, surrounded like, by the statues looking down at yeah. them. Even the lead up to that, like in the um I guess it would be kind of like a greenhouse where he throws the turtle through the window and oh, like yeah. that whole sequence of her just berating him well, and it, being like you have to admit it you have to say it whatever it, it is. felt and, like and the kind of class flipping. it felt like the classic kind of challenge of will's face off somehow where yeah. it's like okay this is the confrontation 
and we know it has a huge weight. What are each of their plans? We know kind of what her plan is, but not really. We have no idea what's going on with him. I don't know. I, you know, who knows? This is total speculation as to why you choose to have that scene in a greenhouse. But on its face value, it really just does give me this, this sort of symbolic sense of like putting up nature versus nurture in a visual, right? Like you're putting him surrounded by natural things, you know, plants and shit. Right. And her, the, the quote unquote nurturer, just berating the fuck out of I mean, him. <laughs> it kind of gets what, what I was saying already is just instances of using the natural to show that the supernatural is also just the natural. And that, yeah. that, that sort of where does one start, where does one end? And again, yeah, met that one, I forgot to mention that, the presence of the turtle pet and the greenhouse. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. I think that final, the circle of statues is... It's pretty brilliant, you know, like just just from a very simple standpoint, being surrounded by a circle of male statues looking down on you Mm. is pretty powerful. And the angle that they shoot when they put Quint up in place of one of the statues and you're looking really canted and down over his shoulder to them is a crazy shot. And look, it just looks amazing. Yeah. And then they and then they cut to, they replace him with the statue and with the same shot, which is cool too because you're just like, what the fuck is real, man? <laughs> right. So, um, well, yeah. that is, and that's the question with these films as we circuitously <laughs> dove into. Yeah, there's yeah. another paradox for you. <laughs> yeah. How do you circuitously dive? Ah! Well, we just did it. And um, I'm kind of using this transition to I got nothing else if uh, you're good to move on. Yeah. Great. I mean, it could go on, I'm sure. But hey, this is what I had. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that's right. All right. Next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. Well, it sounds like maybe you had some more first viewing thingy dangies, but just to get mine out of the way because it's super particular and quick and silly, is this kind of this is, I don't know, old movie in a bad way moment, I guess, of just over over um, explaining something too much. Uh, uh, What's the, we've been talking for a while. What's the word? Exposition. Exposition. Thank you. <laughs> um, when it's this, really like, this is another one of those like telling clue moments. It's so cool when they go to the church and she sees um, Flora putting the flowers down at Miss um, Jessel's grave. Oh, and, yeah. And like we literally see Flora doing it. But then when when she walks over, when uh, Miss Giddens walks over to pick up the flowers, like like we we get it, you know it's okay, great. She saw her do it. It was Flora. They did it. We just saw it. Yet she goes when she picks up the flowers, Flora. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, you just actually made me think of another symbolic thing that we should have mentioned that is brilliant. Um, Giddens when she first arrives to the manor. Two or three times she runs into the the white flowers and knocks petals off of them 
Yep. That by itself just symbolically is genius. Yep. Right? She's going in to try and be caring and loving to this beautiful thing, and she's fucking knocking its petals off. Perfect. It's so good. Anyway, sorry. Um, I should have had that written down. But yeah, there's a couple little kind of, I don't know if you would call it, it's borderline continuity things that are just sort of like, whatever. Um, you know, in every single behind the scenes thing, they talked about the 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 um, the continuity person having to stay on top of those candles in the candelabra. Oh, she was obsessed was, with that. I bet because I I was watching for it. Why? And there's I don't get why do you care? Why do you even pay attention to that? <laughs> I don't know. But it was good, not. right? It was, as far it as was, those candelabras, it, there was one moment where I was like, uh oh, and then I was like, oh no, they, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, good. I just apparently from hearing about it, she was very, very someone was doing their best on it. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I kind of in general gave the sense that, in spite of all of the positive things and like what's working for it as a movie, just my general malaise watching it was not great. So part of that could be circumstantial, but. I don't know. I, I it, it's a movie that's kind of it's forcing you to get into a mindset of like thinking a little. I, I guess what I, I I didn't leave it feeling feelings. I felt more just intellectual about it, and I think that's what bummed me out about the movie because I was. Ex- I mean, and maybe it's an expectation problem too, because I was all hyped up to watch this. Yeah. And then was kind of like, hmm, okay. I had the exact opposite experience where I was all emotion feeling and then had to circle back to intellectually parse it all. Yeah. Um, but that's not really a, I don't know, it's not really a what didn't, I mean, I guess it didn't work for me in just circumstantially. But as a film, I think the only thing is is just the the stylistic era that it comes from you know, is uh, lends itself to feeling maybe a little quote unquote bored at times, you know, but you got to just get past that and watch the movie. I mean, I'm always worried about that happening, but like it, this, I don't know, never got boring for me. Like yeah. there was always there's a, quite a bit, like quite often, like a lot of those ghost sightings happened there was always some something in the background ramping up. Um, I don't know. Not an issue yeah. for me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything super specific. So <laughs> it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's we, a really we, good movie. We have a section. You're trying to talk about it. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I mean, we're allowed to move on, though. Let's, let's talk yeah. about... Th- All right. Next section, things of note. This should be interesting. I guess this is, I already kind of mentioned it, but it's something I kind of wondering why this is. I already mentioned it, but I just thought it was funny. I realized it for the first time, how I do always like when, when it's sort of open to interpretation, um, I always assume it's the supernatural thing because it's more fun in movies, you know, it's like, 
I just mm-hmm. realized that about myself when it was like reading these these takes on it afterwards and kind of like you were saying, oh yeah, it was this and this and this. I'm like, oh, I don't even why why don't <laughs> I why don't I default to that? I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Because you're watching a movie. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I get it because because it's cooler. It's cooler. Right. That's what I keep saying. Um. Okay. Well, I did I did watch some special features and and stuff like that. So I got nice. some some trivia things of note that I thought were fun. Um, Hit me with them. Talking about you know the the look of it, how it was shot. We'll start off. So there was a um, a mandate from the studio to shoot it in that Cinerama Cinescope ratio or whatever of two okay. four. That um, Jack Clayton and um, is it Freddie Francis. Um, the uh the dp yeah yeah freddie francis the dp um mm-hmm. that they were they were they wanted to shoot it in that 137 aspect ratio it's like you know the the idea of being really intimate with faces was important to them and okay. clayton was like you know obsessed with that but they basically like had to give in at a st- certain point to the studio mandate so it was really cool watching it with that and seeing how okay where how do they now go achieve that intimacy with the characters, but with this super wide lens? How do they get whatever they were going for and do it? So it's really cool to see that play out. Um, and then some uh, an additional technique they used on top of because they were uh, you know to address that wide ratio, they had um, about twelve filters like made with kind of different painted on vignettes in it where they were there just to be kind of different um different grades of the sides being kind of darkened or putting on you with a color which in black and white will have a certain effect or whatever um (laughs) actually this is fun super little tidbitty but apparently the main set of filters were actually made in the farmhouse kitchen of two little old ladies in chalfont saint giles near windsor that's that's what the dp said um years later so they had those that were made ahead of time and then some that were made kind of on set as they were going that that was yeah really neat yeah you know i don't know a ton about truman capote i mean i know he exists i saw the movie with philip seymour hoffman in it i've tried to read in cold blood that's about it People but I always it... thought they had me pegged by the way I am, <laughs> the way I talk. Um, that sounds that sounds more like um, the dog. Uh, yeah, yeah. What is that dog? Droopy name? dog. Droopy. <laughs> Though that was always I always said I do my my Truman my Philip Seymour Hoffman as Truman Compote impression is just to do <laughs> Droopy dog, and that was the line from the trailer. People yeah. always thought they had anyway. Um, but I do think it's 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 interesting. It makes me kind of want to know a little bit more about him and his writing. He also wrote um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, right? Yeah, I'm or pretty sure that's right. Co-wrote, I don't so, know. So you know, like, yeah, he's he's interesting. The the so the um, the, there's you know who knows how much of this the final script was actually his. They kept saying but, like uh, a lot of it was as far as you can find it with those touches of like. That line of, oh, look, the spider eating the fly. It's, you know, it's beautiful, whatever. Right. I mean, it really, regardless, I guess, the the language is quite awesome. And I, I think it's just, it's interesting to me to see 
I don't know. Like, do we experience that now as much where you like films are written? I don't know. It's just a different thing, but it's really cool to see, I guess, is yeah. what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's, 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 especially if you were more familiar with his work to kind of know how it's all maybe how he's yeah. permeating through it. And it's, it is a, you know, it's a style. Like he, it's very clearly stylistically, you know, written. And I, I appreciate it, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, just that you've got this particular style of language coming in and it's super effective and interesting and, you know, artistic and poetic and many layered. And it's like, shit, dude, this guy's, this guy's good. It <laughs> makes me want to go like read some stuff of his. Do you want to hear the name of my new novel? <laughs> it's called In Cold Blood. Brilliant, isn't it? That's that feels like that's like the version on Looney Tunes that they would do when they would have like celebrities <laughs> on Looney Tunes. <laughs> or like Animaniacs or whatever. Yeah. Um exactly. the another thing from the biography of the um, the cinematographer, the DP. Freddie Francis is fun. Mm -hmm. Just little tricks that they did too. never would have thought of. He said, quote, there was an enormous garden set built on the stage at Shepperton. Okay. So the movie, it had those exteriors, but all the interiors were set at Shepperton. Yeah. Well, and I think some of the exteriors that are like right next to the, the house, I think that a lot of that was a set too. Okay. Well, it said, you can kind of tell it's got a little bit of a setty feel to some of those shots he said there's an enormous garden set built on the stage at shepperton and to highlight the trees and foliage i had one side of the trees and leaves painted silver and white to create a false highlight which was far <laughs> more effective than working with just the lights at our disposal the look gave wow. the scenes in the garden an otherworldly feeling if you like a supernatural look in daylight that's cool yeah um it was fun you know uh when i was reading about the continuity the continuity person trying to stay on top of those candles and the candelabra um a pair, i'm like what you know do you just have tons of candles it shouldn't be that so they actually had a very limited supply of candles because they are custom candles with thick with extra thick wicks because you had to have the flames bigger in order to light the scene better i i did i i will say i noticed how much smoke is coming off those flames there like, was, they were burning hot i'm just like it, it just i just took it as like uh it was a nice period touch you know just that right, right. <laughs> i don't know bigger flames old candles sure right um that's cool i thought it was interesting the critical reception upon release was hmm. that like the art house crowd thought it was too showy and then the hammer horror crowd thought there was not showy enough like not enough gore or whatever <laughs> So uh, it was only you can, you can never win. Right. So it was only as time went on, it's taken on its uh, it's taken on its positive yeah. uh, place. I noticed here that, uh, you know, I guess not surprising at all, but I had mentioned before Crimson Peak was, you know, influenced by this. I still want I still haven't actually seen it. I'm so curious. I, I, I feel like I need to give it another shot. I gave it like 40, 40 minutes probably, and I just was like, I'm so bored, and I turned it off. I'm excited for you just to rewatch this one in a few years, maybe. Yeah. In a different setting, whatever. Mm-hmm. In uh, my gothic mansion that I'm going to yeah, own then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like the idea of you having a gothic mansion, and when you walk in, it's exactly the same as your apartment now, but then just 
bigger like you rebuild your apartment you have now inside <laughs> of like a room in your mansion yeah and i'll just i'll be also like now just be laying on my carpet <laughs> yeah here's my old apartment room <laughs> um oh my god i didn't have anything else tim i have one thing that just i didn't realize until we watched the trailer I always thought her is her name Deborah Kerr or Carr because he says it's, Carr. It's in the... spelled Kerr, it looks like, but he said Carr. What the hell? I always thought it. So according to the trailer voice guy, looks like <laughs> Kerr, sounds like Carr. He must be right. Yeah, Deborah yeah. Carr. <laughs> he yeah. wasn't just had that that voice. Deborah Carr. <laughs> yeah. Well, it made money, so that's good. Yeah. Great. Cool, man. All right. Well, I think that's it then for the innocence. Should we move on to if we have any recommendations? Totally. You got anything? Yeah, buddy. Okay, so. (laughs) Haven't heard of it. You know how much I love my Curse of Oak Island treasure hunting show? (laughs) Yeah. I went to stream it. You know, it like it. You know, they they air it and then it's available for streaming. You know, just after the airing, and for whatever reason, my computer just wouldn't work, and it wasn't allowing it to stream. It kept telling me that I my my token was invalid, which I don't understand, and I feel very insulted by. <laughs> Tim, so you have in, an invalid token. I mean, really? How? So I. I was getting very frustrated because it's on the History Channel. So I'm on the History Channel's website. And I'm searching around and I'm like, well, let me see if another show on their channel or on the website will play. And I'm looking at it and I discover a new show that just aired the first episode on History Channel. And it's called The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, my God. I want to watch it. Do you it. know about Skinwalker Ranch? I know Ranch? all about Skinwalker Ranch. Dude. Skinwalker Ranch is one of the coolest, weirdest things ever. Yep. It's got it all. And so with, exactly. I'm not going to I'm not going to explain it because it is the deepest of like deep dive it's holes like you can get into aliens werewolves dimensions evil occult stuff like everything right like yeah everything everything there's you know plasma balls and lights and and like electromagnetism it's just it's never ending so they have made a show that some some rich dude bought the ranch <laughs> And for the last, I think he bought it in 16 or 17. It's kind of what we always want from these supernatural things is like just a, a crazy rich person just to like, you know, yeah, <laughs> try to do it. Dude, it is off, it is off the fucking hook. Ridiculous. Like they're obviously playing some stuff up like the producers or whatever. But the guy that they recruited to be kind of the lead is a former like He's an astrophysicist, and he's a really interesting character. He actually was on an episode of The Curse of Oak Island. He's, you know, he sort of specializes in in problem solving, but like broad, you know, concept conceptual problem solving. So he's a really interesting guy, and they bring him in. The premise of the show is that he's been brought in by this rich dude 
to help investigate what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch. And so you got this kind of he's an outsider and he's getting informed about all this shit and he's a bit of a skeptic. (laughs) The faces that he makes when people bring up crazy ass shit are so good. Like the, the lead security guy gets into like an argument with him about digging holes. He's like, you can't dig on this property because bad shit happens. And the, and the lead guy looks at him like, huh? What the fuck are you talking about? And they like get into an argument. It's so good. It's so, <laughs> it's such good television. <laughs> and there's only been one episode and I am literally like dying for more. So that's mine. The Secret of Skinwalk Ranch is on History Channel. I can Check see you being so excited when you see the new episode. Just like uh. not being able to click fast enough. Uh. <laughs> it's I, amazing. Well, I don't know if anything's going to be as good as the last movie I recommend edited, The Beach Bum. But <laughs> I so, something has uh, I did. I've been getting through Kelly Reichardt's films and uh her, yeah, she's she's incredible filmmaker. I'm just discovering her films. She had that new movie, like First Cow, come out. Is known for recently, you know, Meeks Cut Off, Wendy and Lucy, and the oh, one I've seen Wendy and Lucy. That's good. Yeah, the one that I want to recommend. I think came right after. No, right before Wendy and Lucy. This was. I mean, they're all great. Really recommend if you haven't seen her movies, just get through them. Um, but Old Joy is the one I want to recommend Ed. That's been my favorite oh, so far joy. out of them. Yeah, but the two two kind of dudes where it's like one it's all all kind of like organ based these movies. Um but it's like one of them's, you know, is his wife's pregnant, or, you know, kind of he's he's doing the thing. And then that's the other one, you know, his friend from his, you know, earlier 20s or whatever is kind of like still just kind of going from place to place, living that life. And it's no, there's no like ever overt drama, but it's so rich, mm. like the kind of whatever conflict is in there. And it's just so real. It's, it's, I don't know, it, it is incredible. Cool. Uh, um, just to read into all that, watch it. Well, super well acted, shot, super small crew. Can show yeah. you, you can do, you can do the most with very little and with constraints. And that is again called old joy from Kelly Reichert. Cool. All right. So next Tim, I believe we have one more film in our hat that I believe it would be my turn to pull maybe, but doesn't matter since I'm not there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll just, I'll show it to you. Circle is the name of the film. Yep, and now we have officially finished our first round of hat pulls. And we got a new one, all a new batch, all ready to go. Yeah, buddy. Look at this. Whoa. Very full. Can you go in? Very full. Can you go in and add the last batch that I added? Not yet, but I will. Okay. Great. Uh, I got to print it out. Circle. Well, I'll mention it next time who recommended it anyway cool look forward to watching it as i always do until nice. then you can find us at dismemberinghorror.com and anywhere yeah. else tim oh you know all those social media places instagram. well not all of them but instagram twitter uh email you can, you can gmail us <laughs> is that a, is that a thing people say gmail me gmail us at dismemberinghorror at gmail.com i'm gonna start it that's a it's a new thing. Gmail me. No, don't email me. 
Gmail me. (laughs) (laughs) Then you don't have to say that it's at gmail.com because you're just, it's implied. Oh, so I'll Gmail you. What's your, what's your, oh, it's It's dismembering horror. Yeah, it's Gmail. Gmail me. Okay, great. (laughs) So yeah, Gmail us and (laughs) I think that's it. Thanks for joining us. If you uh, enjoyed this, we ask you to please tell a friend. That's our big, Mm -hmm. big, big ask to you. All right. Yeah. Well, that's it. Hope you're hope you're doing well as we are in closing. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next time. Good goodbye. <laughs>